0: Film Suck with Eileen Jones and Evgenia Kovda. Um, We have a special guest today. His name is David Heslin. Um, He's a film critic. He's located in Melbourne in Australia. So it's going to be god-awful early where he is. Um, (laughs) And, you know, there's a number of, you know, his credits I could list as a writer and editor, but I'll just do the main ones. He edits the Australian um, 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 quarterly film magazine called Metro, which is the oldest film magazine in Australia. And in the past, he's served as one of the, the editing team for Senses of Cinema, and especially if you're an academic, you know all about Senses of Cinema, and it's probably saved your ass many times. It's certainly <laughs> saved mine many times. Um, so, yeah, so we're really looking forward to talking to him about his own chosen topic. He gave a, a list of new wave directors that we could potentially talk about. One of them was um, Anya Varda, and it's given us a good reason to plunge into the works of Anya Varda and, and delve into her career. So here we go.
1: At this point, I've known Alina for a number of years. <laughs> I didn't, re- I didn't realize that actually you wanted to be a film critic because well, you've become one, <laughs> like in you know, a really big publication. So
0: through a very circuitous. <laughs> Root, But yeah, no, yeah, it a little like I was a teenager and reading old James Agee reviews and stuff. And that's what I mm-hmm. wanted to do. And then I just got discouraged. It was so hard to, even then it was hard. Now it's almost impossible. So it's a mi- kind of miracle I ever, I ever got back to it.
1: Um, yes. And, and for women probably, too. I mean, there was Palin Kael, but uh, right, but it's sort of like still a very kind of, yeah, in prestigious publication. that is. Well, like then most people the guys.
0: die in the job. If anyone can land a real, you know, film critic gig, they're never leaving. So that's why David Denby is still at the New Yorker. You know, or I was whatever. gonna say, yeah,
2: I don't so say you're weird. Going anywhere anytime <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That he's really bad. That's oh so bizarre. Wait, he's, but you know what? How then? Let's sorry, David. I know mm. it's an interview with you, but I'm so curious. So, <laughs> so I mean, wait. After you thought this is too hard to do, yeah. which, it, which it is, like to get actually a job and all that, uh, somehow screenwriting seemed more feasible in Hollywood.
0: <laughs> I'm only really kidding. I was just trying to feel out wh- how can I be a writer. This was from from young, and I, of course, I kept. I was so easily discouraged. I was the type of person who didn't deserve to be a writer because I was always getting so discouraged and going, well, I'll just go to grad school then, because you know, just stupid stuff. Um, I uh, should have done the, the what the Cormac McCarthy thing where you get some crap day job that doesn't tax your mind and you just write, but I never had the nerve. So so I was trying to be a screenwriter or a novelist or uh, I just wanted to be a writer and I didn't. But initially, I wanted to be a film critic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was an ugly path, ugly, messy. Yeah.
1: But are you there, Man, no, <laughs> no, I mean, I actually, since I didn't realize that it was sort of an early,
2: an early, yeah, early dream.
0: Uh, yeah, no. It sounds like David has taken a much shorter, cleaner path to a goal <laughs> than I am.
2: No, I going not say. Yeah, I, I wanted to be a journalist um, when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. I actually studied that for a year, and I was like, no, that's no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, ignore my dog.
0: Yeah, no, I actually did a stint hoping I'd become a film critic through that, and I I'd interned at a paper and everything, and it was already dying when yeah. I was there, and that was many years ago, so imagine how bad, I mean, we know how bad it is now. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Every, every profession I ever wanted to be part of has, is dying you name it
1: <laughs> or becoming something just rich people do yeah right? so there's not no even. <laughs> not that it doesn't exist you can yeah. still <laughs> you can always volunteer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 yeah.
2: Yeah. well I guess we can all learn to code by the, by the time we're 16. exactly
0: isn't that the answer we're all supposed to learn to
2: code <laughs> yeah we'll um, we'll um do appearances in the social dilemma uh, part two uh, talking
0: about
1: how bad <laughs> right <laughs> so I feel like both me and Eileen at least, definitely are neither of us are fans of Agnès Varda, but also not super like knowledgeable about her movies because she had so many, right? Mm. And oh man, in short, I, I definitely watched a few of her movies during mm-hmm. my teenage years, but I never, I always confused her with um, Chantal Ackerman. In, in my head, <laughs> wow. it wasn't even, it wasn't even like somehow separate enough. But that was from years ago. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. separate. But man, last night I watched like Lions. You recommended David. Um, lines, lines love, and lies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, well, I don't know. I, one thing I have to say uh, she's definitely sort of a proto mumblecore director, which I don't know what Eileen, Eileen has probably a lot to say about that. But unless. Oh,
0: no. I like her much better than that. But I should say, I should note that she, I watched an interview with her and she loves Lena Dunham. She loves girls. Okay, that,
1: but that makes sense, Eileen, yeah, she because her. she's brought yeah. that,
0: like, no oh, did, I didn't think that at all. I have a problem with mumblecore. I should fill you in. <laughs> I hate it, in fact. But.
1: I actually um like I mean I I watched Girls I I like parts of it so mm-hmm. I am not even like hateful towards it I just like see it as a certain obviously genre and somehow finally in my head Agnes Varda kind of made more sense when I realized she's like one of those early pioneers but well yeah. I
0: think because because my favorites of her films are Cléo from 5 to 7 and mm-hmm. Le Bonheur and they seem so and I just watched Le Bonheur I I actually hadn't seen it and it was just I, that just wowed the hell out of me I loved it so I guess I guess that's that's my it's now in my head is that's really really Varda even though I watched a number of other things besides <laughs> *When went vagabond um, I, I actually mm-hmm. just watched Faces Places even though we didn't name it just because I, mm-hmm. I thought I'm just going to watch the opening and then I got all drawn in so so sorry our, our film viewing might be a bit of a mess not not overlapping nearly enough so David what films do, what films I know you said what Lions in Love and what films did you particularly emphasise or suggest um, that we emphasise one, so
2: one that I actually, um, I got up early this morning. It's like um, 7.30 mm. in the morning over here for uh, right. anyone who's wondering. Um, I actually got up at about 5am and Ooh. I decided to watch a bit of documenter Her again. Mm-hmm. Um, her um, sort of 1980, it's almost feature length, it's about 60 minutes long um, film that she made in um, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, yeah, it's such a beautiful film. Um, have either of you seen it? I
0: haven't, but you were going to
2: watch it again. I watched a clip or two.
1: I I watched like half of it also, Mm -hmm. like a a few days ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I mean, just because of my... (laughs) Tell us about the beauties, though. Tell us. Yeah, yeah. You Better. Yeah. I think I'll let David speak first.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, it's it's a really um, incredible film. It's sort of, um, it starts with this shot of... um, one of these murals in um, LA that she was really fond of filming. I think she made a whole documentary about um, those murals. Um, she does. It's just-
1: Murmurs. Mm-hmm. You know, she actually had the same year.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't actually seen that one, but it, it looks really great. Um, but yeah, it starts off with um, just this sort of mother and child um, kicking a football to each other um, in front of this mural. And mm-hmm. the film is kind of just about their dynamic. It's, so, very much about her, about kind of the loneliness of being a single mother in a kind of foreign location. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got this beautiful sort of poetic voiceover, just talking about, you know, sort of the loss of a relationship and kind of just not really knowing where you are and where you fit in. Um, and what one thing I really love about the film, and I guess Varda does this a lot, is there's this real kind of mingling of documentary and fictional elements. Um, mm-hmm a lot of the stuff that she's kind of, that this protagonist is walking past is just, you know, real people going about their business. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw this scene, Evgenia, but um, there's this um, sequence where you just have this couple fighting in a doorway, like basically like screaming abuse at each other. Um, And I watched, um, I think, an interview with Vada where she said that was totally real. Um, And she she did ask them whether she could film and they were fine with it. Um, (laughs) Wow. Yeah, they were just having a full on, you know, kind of row. And... Mm -hmm there's this moment where the protagonist is kind of watching them warily as he would, um, and then actually just has to walk between them. And it's like fiction kind of, you know, mm-hmm. kind of slicing through documentary. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. a really interesting sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, do, yeah, but, yeah it's, I mean, um, I do
0: like that quality of her. That seems like a real, we'll have to get into later. Like, what do we, what do we think are the defining qualities of, of Varda, which is hard because she's, you know, just even though you can recognize content similarities here and there, stylistically she's so wide-ranging that one film will look like just just startlingly <laughs> different from another. Um, so I've actually been kind of wrestling with how to, how to talk about her as an auteur, which she clearly is um, – because she just—it's—it's it's hard to pin down what she's about. But certainly, she—she's talked about like hating hating the categorization of just documentary, just fiction filmmaking. She blurs it all the time, and sometimes in really confounding ways. Like in Faces Places, there are scenes with her and the and the artist Jr. talking, and they seem very much like well, it's just them talking, but it has a quality of performance. Like, mm. is this take three? you know, did they talk this through? And then it's really ambiguous. It seems both a little stylized and like a real conversation they're having. And it's very hard to pin down.
2: Well, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because, um, uh, Evgenia, you were mentioning before about how you kind of, when you're younger, you kind of confuse Vada with Ackerman.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And I think Chantal Eichmann is a kind of interesting parallel director, I feel, because she also made a lot of films that were kind of some documentary, some fiction, and some that really blurred those two categories. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so there is something very interesting about these filmmakers who are both very personal. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I guess very very much kind of like inserting themselves in the frame a lot Um, Mm -hmm. and their own stories, melding that with fiction. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: She certainly seems to love, especially later in life, presenting herself on film, and and to be conscious of you know the, you know she has a look she you know she has a kind of. Uh, you know her hair, her famous hair, her famous shape as she's she an older like woman. looks like a mushroom. <laughs> yeah, she's and she's cultivated and she's literally given herself a mushroom cap hairdo that's white on kind of on the skull and then and then dyed red around the fringe and yeah and she dresses in a kind of way with layers as if to accentuate that how short she is how kind of kind of short and, and ball like she is but she seems they're... to get some sort of delight in that.
2: There's um, there's a scene in um, I think Faces Places right where she um, she she's kind of just just irritated by JR always wearing sunglasses. <laughs> it's almost like it's PTSD from being friends with Goddard in the sixties because um, he always wore them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, at one point I think she's sort of having a go at him for it, and and he says, "Well, mm-hmm. you know, isn't your kind of like hair also a kind of disguise?" or something?
0: Yes. <laughs> He totally calls her out and she says, it's like you've got a disguise or a costume. I forget which which it is. And he says, well, so do you. What about your hair? And you're like, oh, that was a good gotcha. That really was. (laughs) But that's a perfect – it's a perfect example though of how she blurs the line between documentary and fiction where – she, she calls him out on wearing the sunglasses all the time so often that you know in the end he's going to take the sunglasses off hmm. and it's evoking Godard because you know he did the same thing and then and she she tells an anecdote of at one point Godard took his glass she made him take his glasses off for for the little sequence he was in I think for Cleo from Five of Seven there's a film within a film thing and so they're going to reenact this at the end and it and it has this quality of being kind of sweetly spontaneous at the same time you know it you know it's going to be paid off in that way, in that kind of fictional structuring way, because it comes up like th- at least three times, like her irritation at his glasses. So, I, I, but she seems to go boldly at that.
2: Yeah, and that it's kind really of mixture. Like I find it interesting as well that she includes that sequence, and it just made me think of how she she is a filmmaker with almost no. I don't know how to say this, but no vanity in a way, um, it, mm-hmm. because there's also a sequence in Faces Places where, like you know, they're. they're Working together, you know, sort of um, with these photographs, you know, uh, plastering mm-hmm. them on buildings, and then there's one whole sequence where she's like, you know, I'd really like to, you know, use this old photo I took. And JR's like, no, nah, terrible idea. We're not <laughs> right, right, mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah. And she does say that liking that about the documentary form when she's sort of accepting the category. She says it's something like it's a much it's a much more ego less. Form because you're try It brings you back to trying to find out about others in the, in the world. And plus, you're you're usually not in command of some huge. You don't have a giant camera. You're using a small camera. You don't have a huge crew. You know, you're not the you're not the commanding director figure. You're trying to kind of reach out, and that that this this appeals to her. Um, but at the same time, she's so. She seems so dominant on camera that you kind of wonder if she's pulling a fast one a little bit.
1: But, you know, like connected to this, Eileen, I don't know if you've watched this one, uh, the, the, the specific documentary mm-hmm. that I watched years ago. And that one I really liked. It's called The Gleaners and I.
0: No, I only saw clips. I didn't see
1: it. David, mm-hmm. do you know that one? Yeah,
2: yeah I saw that a few weeks ago. Yeah.
1: I mean, to me, it's like actually encapsulates what, um, and you know, correct me if, if you think otherwise. What actually Agnès Ward is as filmmaker. I'm not trying to at all, um, kind of like uh, uh, say she's not this, you know, she's glorified and talented and all that. But uh, to me, that that movie, which basically she's she's really witty and she, um, it's a, sort of a documentary, but she inserts herself a lot in it mm-hmm. uh, about this kind of. Mm, uh, basically, I don't know how in short about the gleaners, mm-hmm. that's the people who kind of try to feed um, and, and just leave off the sort of uh, just the, uh, the the food that is out there without buying it. It's in the fields sort of, or, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, it, connects it to mm-hmm, th- th- there are different ways uh, mm-hmm. the gleaners operate. They're almost like, I mean, in a way like trash beakers, but it's not necessarily trash. Trash can be good and nutritious and, uh, it, and she kind of did equate eventually herself, I think even to the gleaners because mm-hmm. she's sort of more of a image gleaner, like she constantly right kind of picks the reality around herself, and she's like obviously a very curious person. But my thing with her because I'm again I was never really interested and still not after watching a number of movies this mm-hmm. week is that you know it's a certain thing that she definitely serves like a historic purpose it feels because she captures so much uh going through her life making so many movies or short and long and it's all kind of like documents reality around her but mm-hmm. ultimately she doesn't have like to me what is why I'm I'm not interested in that but is that she doesn't really have a world like that she creates she's just like interested in the world around and explores it but there's no you know it's no David Lynch let's put it this way and not that not that everyone has to be David Lynch but just like a kind of the drastic to bring someone so drastically different you know uh, someone who doesn't have to live at the house and kind of be interested in his own imagination. And someone like Varda, who would like at age like 80 something, going to like travel the world and like meet people and film them, you know? So I don't know. To me, it's like, it's like a certain, a certain type of filmmaking that's really not for everyone. And it explains why she could make so many movies because there are this like, yeah, both fiction and fiction mixes of things that are not like this, um, not like an endeavour of imagination. They're actually not imaginative.
2: Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree. I mean, I, I think it's, um, it's definitely the outside world and particularly people that she seems most fascinated by. And I think mm-hmm. I really get this this feeling of, like, love just for kind of, you mm-hmm. know, just people in general. Um,
1: Humanity, like she mm-hmm. seems kind, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, have either of you seen Daguerreotypes? Mm-mm. No. Um, so that's a really beautiful documentary um, that she mm-hmm. filmed on her street um, where she lived in Paris. And she basically mm-hmm. um, just speaks to various shopkeepers um, mm-hmm. mostly um, on the street and, mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of gets to know them. And it's just an incredible, like, time capsule of, I guess, just this moment moment in time and place in 1975. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the shops is just this old perfume store that's I think been open since the 1930s and Mm -hmm. run by this elderly couple who, you know, probably don't have many years left after that. Um, But it's just this, I don't know, like you can just feel the kind of affection she has for them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, she just documents them kind of going about, like serving customers and kind Mm -hmm. of talking about their lives. Um, And it really makes me think about how, um, you know, like any sort of time and place can be beautiful, you know? any any sort of um, any moment in time can be filmed and you can feel nostalgia mm-hmm. for it later
0: and that well that and that's this is interesting because he is really kind of challenging what at least you know the loose colloquial notion of the auteur is if we're going to try to apply it to Agnes to Agnes Varda just because you know usually we associate it with a a, a very personal worldview that's highly identifiable almost to the point that you could watch you know five minutes of any film and be like that's Varda um, so that's, and that's kind of going back to what I was saying in the beginning that she's, she's, she's hard to pin down. So it it's almost like you, you have to come to the point of saying, yeah, is it, is it like an attitude of love that, that helps define, I think there are some very definite aspects of her work that we can talk about that, that are common to her work for sure. And we should get into them in a second. But, you know, for, for example, I watched a little thing about her talking about what she loves about documentary and how she defines Mm -hmm. her own approach. And she said something like, I never want to be the spy, the person who uses the long lens to try to catch the subject in a contradiction or a lie, perhaps that they told, I want to be the documentary filmmaker as friend. So I'm the one who will tell them if you sit a little more this way, You'll look better. I care about how you look in the film, so it's all about this. I will contextualize in a way that is is loving. I'll be the loving friend documentary filmmaker.
2: Right. So she's kind of the opposite of Sasha Baron Cohen, you could say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's an unusual take, I think. On most documentary film, I mean, most documentary filmmakers would
1: would probably the opposite <laughs> would say
0: that is that even being a documentary filmmaker, you know, there you could see a challenge to that.
1: But yeah, like, it, what is she, social worker?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, That's an uh, You know, they might very well. I'll say that's a very uh, – I don't see any why it's any more invalid than any other She's out front. You certainly feel that when you watch her films. Like, yeah, no one ever was more lovingly curious, I think, than, yeah. than Agnes Varna. But th- that just brings me back to, like, what are, her, what are the qualities that you can – of all these diverse films that you can start to draw together? And one seems definitely to be she's interested in people who, who work. She's interested in the working class – and she, and or the marginalized people who also don't work are shoved to the margins of society she seems very very taken with that in a way that I like to see cuz you know again so many filmmakers are not that
1: mhm
0: so that yeah. seems at least one like ordinary people in their regular lives you know she had access you know to so many famous people but there's yeah. no
1: portrait of a, i'm gonna do a portrait of so-and-so a famous actor or you know <laughs> she did that too which i'm actually sure grateful because i think it was so interesting it's also on criterion there's a short like 20 minute, i think 20 minutes um kind of like little documentary <gasps> conversation with uh, patricia Highsmith. Heiss- high yeah patricia wow, i didn't even see that it's there it's super interesting she talks to her and you know patricia's fluent in french because uh, she's i guess mm-hmm. been living in europe for a long time there's that there and i'm like whoa interesting. So she's interested in her and obviously it's probably easy for her being Agnès Varda to talk to her. And it's uh, she really gets to something because they're, they're, I guess they might be, I don't know, friends are friendly. Then there's a super interesting, uh, it, just for anyone who is like into like history stuff, it's very rare uh, to catch her on camera um, Them both actually. She has like a very short um, film, like a documentary about this um, French couple authors, uh, Louis Aragon, and Elza Trelia. Elza was actually Russian immigrant from Moscow to, to France. And there's that. They're very famous, but like they're no actually kind of films. It's all like the bohemian circles. So I, I support what you're saying, Alina, about like she knew all these people. But I, I'm just saying, yeah, but he, she also did like document them. It's not only working class or like graffiti artists. So it brings me back to the fact that she's just generally super interested and curious. And that's definitely like a real, I mean, I guess, I don't know, laudable talent in its own way because most people are not really interested in other people. But but it's not like the filmmaking, let's say, not my cup
2: of tea. <laughs> what did bring you to Varda? Yeah, it was interesting. I, I think she was a filmmaker that, um, I mean, I, I always loved, you know, French New mm-hmm. Wave cinema, um, like, you know, Jacques Rivet, Eric Romer, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Alan René as well. Um, Varda was a filmmaker I was, you know, kind of familiar with maybe like 10 years ago or something. I'd seen Cleo for five to seven and Vagabond, I think. But mm-hmm. I, I never felt any real affection for her work. Um, and I think that all changed last year when I saw two films, um, Document her, which I've already mentioned, and One Sings the Other Doesn't, her kind of feminist musical from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think I was just just really taken with her filmmaking, which just seemed so kind of like freewheeling and kind of, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe quite generous as well. And, um, yeah, I just – I ended up getting the Criterion Collection box set and I've just been steadily working through that. And um, mm-hmm. I've seen almost all her feature films now, I think, and I just feel like um, I discover something new every time and mm-hmm. I must feel like I'm getting little pieces of her as a person as well through these films.
0: I also um, like her her kind of stealth – for all the sense you do get of a very free, free wheeling is a good word. It's, there's so much spontaneity that she actually has a lot of stealth structure and technique that you might not notice. There's a, there's a great discussion she has of, of Vagabond, where she says there are in Vagabond every ten minutes exactly there are tracking there are tracking shots that mm. go from right to left, and I think there's she she even names the number of thirteen I think. Um, from right to left and they all You know, travel with um, obviously the lead the lead character, the young woman who's just you know um, uh, you know kind of left behind the office job and the workaday world and is now living. Uh, She she, what is what is Agnes Farada I called it something like uh, it's subtitle could have been freedom and filth. Um, Mm -hmm. She embraces a kind of homelessness, a kind of wandering. But at any rate, it follows her along each time, and then and then kind of goes away from her at the very end of the shot to focus on some local object, something, something in the landscape. And she does it over and over, but in in these very, very precisely timed ways, which, you know, attracts me because I like, I like formal flourishes. (laughs) And I think what I, one of the things I really like about her is I feel like even when I haven't noticed that myself, I can feel it at work. Like someone might say, oh, she, she virtually improbbed so many of these scenes, or she let this be very freeform in the way it developed. And I can still feel a kind of rigor and control in her work that I, that I love to feel. There's a kind of if I get to a certain point of feeling that there's sloppiness, I start to be very restless and not like it, but Mm -hmm. I don't feel that way with her. I don't feel like she's a sloppy filmmaker. And certainly I think my favorite now is Le Bonheur is so controlled. It's, it's almost hilarious.
2: (laughs) Um, It's so fascinating how like, yeah, as you say, like, she is kind of a formalist, but at the same time, so eclectic. Like she almost seems like a Mm. kind of like zealot of filmmakers, you know, just like, (laughs) you know, she's got like a film, like the creatures, which feels like a Bergman film. She's got um, even a short film (sighs) diary of a pregnant woman. um, One of her really early ones, which actually reminded me of Jan Svankmeyer and it's kind of like really sort of almost nightmarish kind of editing (laughs) and kind of fetishism of objects and stuff. And yet, yeah. So it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Like that she is so in control and yet. Yeah, so but at
1: the same time, for me also a paradox. I don't know. Probably David will help me understand this. I I feel like she uh, she's a really warm person, super interested in other people, kind. It, it seems that way. Like oh, like looks like a kind mushroom. But <laughs> and, and and at the same time, she's clearly witty. But when I turned on uh, this movie recommended David, uh, the, the commenter uh, about this um, sort of a, it's the take on her own, I guess, experience with been with her with her son in LA, but it's a fictionalized version, and it starts and it goes on. It's basically structured through voiceover, this like really serious, kind of like sincere narration, uh, supposed to be like really heartfelt, which I guess it is, and it, it might be something about the time that has passed, which is almost like fifty years or whatever, forty years, and now it's like hard to take this sort of like you know again serious it it's, it's only works as a pastiche for me mm-hmm. it's, too, it's just hilarious but without intention and so it's like ugh.
2: It's, it's funny because yeah I, um, I I didn't feel that at all but it's interesting she really does kind of caught that like risks sometimes because, um, like even even that film documenter, it's subtitled mm-hmm. I think, an emotion picture, which is like the corniest thing you could you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. But but yeah, I yeah, because <laughs> like some of her films do sometimes kind of verge a mm-hmm. little bit on like sentimentality and kind mm-hmm. of sweetness. I mean, for me, like uh, obviously all the all this stuff will always be subjective. Um, for me, like I've I found documenter just like I totally went with it. You know, um, mm-hmm. I. I actually felt really um, sort of affected, actually, by the voiceover. But but yeah, she does. She's not afraid to kind of step into that territory of uh, risking and cringe, as you would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, a bit cringy. Again, something might be about the times. Might be like if I was in a different situation forty years ago when it came out, mm-hmm. watching it might have felt different because of the cultural moment. But one of the things I really abhor is sentimentality in any form, because I think sentimentality actually kills the real emotion. But again, clearly not for everyone if you can get into that sincerely
0: well a good a good example might be in one sings the other doesn't where there's many um performances by by a feminist group called the or- what do they call the orchids or orchid i'm forgetting now yeah and they're this you know they're, they're traveling in a caravan through the countryside and it's you know whatever the what early i think late 60s early 70s i forget when the when the and through the 70s and yeah there's then they're singing these incredibly soft voice you know women singing about feminist issues to the point that you and apparently all the lyrics were written by Varda herself and it was really rough to know for me how to take it like would this have played absolutely straight at the time and now I'm like I can (laughs) this is like Are you kidding? They're going to do another of these numbers. And it's like, women are not goddesses and we are not, you know, (laughs) servants and our bodies are our own. And you're like, are you kidding? (laughs) But, you know, at the time, Varda was very seriously involved in, you know, securing reproductive rights. (laughs) She was involved in in the struggle. I don't know. I honestly, the, I did not know how to take those. So help me out there, David. It's yeah, useful. well, I don't,
2: I don't know how much I can help.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but
2: yeah, yes. I, 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 totally agree. It's a, it's a total time capsule of a of. I guess a kind of feminism, you might even say, that doesn't really exist anymore. It's like a very sort of hippie-infused, um, very. very second wave, <laughs> you know, kind of. Um, I mean, I find, I find it kind of charming as well, like, you know, it is so earnest. Um,
0: very, yeah. And that—and yeah. that's what I mean. Is it supposed to be part of that character at that time? Is she conscious of it or is she part of – is Varda herself part of it? It was that's very hard to, hard to judge.
2: Yeah, I think I think so too. I think it's it's seriously intended. But but I um this reminds me um uh you you asking um you know how it was taken at the time. Um, this reminds me of something my partner Olia um found mm-hmm. um, when I was sort of trying to do some research for uh for this um episode. Um, she she found this this um, interview with Varda in which she was talking about something that hurt her very deeply, which was um mm-hmm. uh in. 1980, I think it was, Cahier du Cinema did this really huge special edition on the history of French cinema. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, you know, going from, you know, the beginning to, you know, even at that point, you know, really super new directors like Chantal Ackerman and Catherine Brilla. Um And apparently she just wasn't mentioned once. Like, Varda wow. wasn't mentioned once in the entire thing. Wow. And she, she, yeah, was just like, what am I, like, nothing? Um, I guess at that stage she'd been making films for 25 years. Oh, my God. And... So, yeah, I sort of wonder if, like, this perception of her now as, like, a great auteur, you know, whether that's a kind of recent thing. Um, Maybe it took a while to, you know, for her to kind of enter that pantheon. I I don't know.
0: And I meant to ask you that. I, I, I was also trying to just find, like, career summary as well as bio, and it seemed pretty sketchy. I mean, when I got interested in her tendency to gravitate toward working class slash marginalized, I was trying to find out about her young life, for example. And it's like the same three rote facts get trotted out about her her youth over and over, and then they just quickly put her in the School of Fine Arts in Paris, and then you're and then you're on. So very hard to get a sense of what her. Hmm. What her class status was when she was young Things like, basics like that and, But yeah, and, I also wondered that Did Pete, How recognized was she? Now everyone's like, are you kidding? She was doing New Wave before the crucial 1959, 1960 Breathless um, 400 Blows With you know her, her short film, What Is It Called Again? And I've already blanked it, um, it's super famous oh, What's the name of her? Yes, <laughs> um, in whatever, 1954 or 5 mm-hmm. So now she gets all this credit For in fact leading The French New Wave, getting there ahead, not only being the only notable woman director that among a kind of guys club. um, But, yeah, that's a good point. When did when exactly did she start getting credit for that? And now they sometimes call her the mother of the French New Wave or the grandmother. And I'm like, that's odd. But at any rate, yeah, that I didn't find either.
2: But yeah, maybe it's also just... interesting. I mean, like you know, how much we actually know about her that doesn't come from her own, um, mm-hmm. you might say, self-mythologizing. Mm-hmm. Um, because right. um, I've seen I've seen facts kind of quoted that, as far as I can tell, are only sourced to like say the beaches of Agnes or something like that. I mean, oh, even yes. um, even the death of you know. Jacques Demy and his mm-hmm. sexuality, I, I found incredibly difficult to find any information about that.
0: right. Um, because there's she's nothing. Really. Well, she's the one who reveals because they they were giving him some other reason of for dying, and then he dies cancer. of AIDS, yeah, they AIDS
2: cancer, right? I think the
0: they said cancer and then no she, no, no. She claimed <laughs> AIDS. But then that's I couldn't find
2: anything either. I'm yeah, just trying so to read in Beaches of Agnes, uh, yeah, she says he died of AIDS. And yes. I found at least one piece online which actually suggested, you know, he had a relationship with another man while, um, while he was with her um, and actually mm-hmm. left her for him and then sort of got back together with her later towards the end of his life. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's very, very sort of. I mean, I guess a lot very of very sketchy. A lot of this stuff that was secretive. But,
1: mm. yeah. I might sound really not pc or I don't know what, what it means, What what would be the term these days? But um, as a kid, I always lo- loved. I didn't know who, back then about like who were the directors, but I loved um, Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Yeah. Um, out of out of his was I guess my favorite. And I saw it early on. I guess with my mom, mm-hmm. and then later I rewatched them, like thinking already as an adult. I'm like, um, yeah, like. Yeah, this guy should be gay. Yeah,
0: that's very not PC. <laughs> oh, cool. uh, but like,
1: but why can I say it? It's Like, that's the sensibility, and that's wonderful. It's a beautiful movie. I, I mean, I have like sort of warm memories of it from childhood. But like, I, it wasn't like a. But it's not like a big surprise. The reveal.
2: It's true that there aren't a lot of straight guys who do musicals. I think that's that's probably fair to say. Um, but it's interesting also because, um, and this is something that Varda seems quite adamant about, even if she never sort of comes out and says it directly, that Demi wasn't gay and like was, mm-hmm. I guess, bisexual. And I think mm-hmm. I think there's a really interesting sequence which um, is kind of hard to forget in um, the beaches of Agnes, where um, uh, she's actually talking about uh their relationship and she shows this kind of naked couple together Mm -hmm. um like it's a homage to i think a magritte painting and Mm -hmm. uh, the guy has an erection which is really like shocking um you don't Mm -hmm. see that in cinema very often Mm -hmm. um and i i almost felt that that image was like a bit of defiance it's like yeah no like you know we had a sexual relationship here um ah yeah i don't know um it's 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 interesting. Um but yeah again like just very very she's very coy about that part of her life and doesn't
0: mm-hmm. Well and it's just interesting given she arising at the time of early auteur studies the first move they made was you know now it's regarded as you know naive even though people popularly we all persist in it you know everyone would go quiz the the director about their personal life and their personal beliefs and their and and then hunt for clues in the films that reflected their their lives and it just i That's why I found it kind of striking that – that her early life you know like the whole what 400 blows you know the relationship it has to Truffaut it's dedicated to Andre Bazin who adopted informally adopted him when he was young arguably kind of saved him for a life in film you know there's so much so many aspects of his young life in that film and and that kind of hunt was so typical of early auteur theory that it just seems an an interesting thing that again points to your what you suggested, David, that maybe she wasn't really regarded as a full-fledged auteur in those early years in such a way as would make you, you know, kind of quiz at the time, ask – do interviews with her saying what aspects of this reflect your actual life, belief, worldview, et cetera? At least I wasn't finding anything like that.
2: yeah. But I do feel, I mean, um, I mean, in terms of that sort of, um, you know, that, that new status, if you like, of her being an alternative mm-hmm. I do feel like it's deserved. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I find even watching, you know, those 60s films now, which I guess maybe, apart from Cleo, were maybe like a little bit under the radar at the time, like, you know, mm-hmm. there's just such a, such a, like, interesting sensibility there, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. Lines, Love, and Lies, like, I don't think I've ever seen a film like that, you know, that that's sort of just weird all over the place kind of, you know, these really strange kind of people. Um, you know, Viva and those two guys, um, mm-hmm. and then Shirley Clark, you know, in it sort of like maybe playing an Avatar of Vada. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know what, what what did you think of it?
1: I still didn't uh, that one one I, I, can I get watched to. that one oh, did you? What do you think? <laughs> I mean I, I mean, I sort of forwarded parts of it because it was just way too boring. But, um, and like, again, that's what brought me to thinking of it, of Varda, partially as proto mumblecore. But parts of it uh, were kind of great because, you know, it's improvised. So sort of, it, it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I don't know, you know, this idea of a script, I think it seems to be non existent for this movie or maybe for, for others with, with Agnes as well. I don't know. And everyone plays themselves. So it's sort of like an interesting, I guess, as Davis says, an interesting space between documentary and fiction. And what makes it interesting because these people are kind of interesting personalities, ultimately. But again, it's a bit like you know, you know, Bertolucci films. I was, I was thinking The Dreamers, which is like I think mid mid aughts movie, which has this kind of I don't know menage a trois type of thing you know in comparison to this and it's hard to compare of course you know it's such a like an unstructured sort of just slice of life type of thing again not for everyone i believe for me it's like it's like this i wonder if, what you guys think do you like cassavetes because
2: um, it's are, related are I You asking like. me what's my take on cassavetes <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, do like Casavetes like in general because I I find like what Casavetes does is almost impossible for me to appreciate. I think Polanski had an, an kind of a mean take on him, which I agree. It's like anyone can do this type of movies. You know, you just mm-hmm. gather some interesting people around and hang hang around, and try to figure some shit out rather than actually structuring something and you know getting it. In an imaginative way, and then and then bring it to life.
2: Yeah, I do. I do feel like he probably has a lot to answer for. Casabianes, doesn't he? Like when you're talking about sort of mumblecore cinema and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I find I haven't seen a lot of his work, um, but yeah, I find there's there's definitely something really sort of powerful, um, like quite painful about his films, um, which I think that really comes through, like in a woman, a woman under the influence, and um, I think shadows is another one. Um, But, yeah, like um, that sort of like looseness and unstructuredness, um, I I guess I can see some similarities there.
1: What about you, Eileen?
0: I also have a hard time with Cassavetes, even though I would point to exactly those two films as the proving ground. That's interesting that you said exactly the two as the proving ground for like he really is after something. It isn't just letting people rave on and. Having no idea of what you're doing, he really, I think, I think like, I think in a way like uh, Varda, he has structure by stealth. I think he is structuring. He's got a sensibility as an idea of what he's going for. I still find it really painful to watch. I can't. I can't. I can't. I think it's just his. But as much his subject matter as as the approach, I I wouldn't choose the approach either. But it's just that kind of adult, especially kind of a middle age, moving more and more toward a kind of middle aged harrowing. Um, uh, you know, interlude of people coming up against what the, what they've made of their lives or haven't made of their lives is always it's always rough for me. <laughs> I can do it with I don't know Tennessee Williams a lot easier uh-huh. than I can do it with John Cassavetes. But that's just
2: yeah. I, I guess one thing that sort of comes through in Cassavetes filmmaking that maybe much more so than Varda's, I, I guess, is kind of anger. I, I I don't get a lot yes. of anger. <laughs> I mean, Vada's films are political, no. but you don't get that sort of like fury and kind of, yeah.
0: No, her very quizzical nature seems to cut against it. And, and she seems to love to choose approaches to it th- because like she's almost always identified as basically a feminist filmmaker. But her version of being a feminist filmmaker is one of the things that I actually like best about her, because she invariably confounds your expectations. If you have an ideological stance that you're really cherishing, holding on to, she's almost surely going to undercut it or make you question it or make you feel troubled by it. Um, And I really like that. I mean, it's even like in one things, the other doesn't taking on what if you want to have kids, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's as a, as a kind of persistent thing that comes out throughout that, that whole film what if you're someone who actually winds up being heterosexual in love with a man and you want children? What are your What are your options likely to be and how do you handle that? That's just an unusual way, it seems to me, to go at 70s feminism, 60s, 70s feminism. Mm-hmm. That seems unusual to really want to emphasize that desire.
2: But she definitely, um, she's, unusual. Not a, she's not afraid of sort of taking on uh, like like topics that might be taboo as well. Like, um, yes. I guess Kung Fu Master, have either of you seen it? Right, right. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, I haven't, but Wars I read it. about it. I meant to watch that one. Yeah, that looks uh-huh. amazing. Because it's yeah. about, what, the, the the adult woman having the affair with a 14-year-old
2: boy. Yeah, with a right. 14-year-old boy, Um, played, played by Varda's son. Um, by her son.
0: Oh, my God. And it's,
2: um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of these things where, you know, it's certainly not romanticized in any way, and it uh-huh. ends very badly, but, um, But, you know, it sort of does seem like um, she's, I'm just presenting it kind of -of matter-of-factly, like, okay, well, here's the thing, you know, Jane Birkin Mm -hmm. wants to be with this 14-year-old guy. (laughs) Right. Um, And, and, yeah, I mean, I, you know, imagine that, you know, the film probably was somewhat controversial in its day and obviously, obviously today would be. um, Yes, even more so so today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, and, you know, just take the case of Le Bonheur, which I keep bringing up, hoping we're going to get into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not very subtly. Um, you know, I didn't realize until I started reading about it that that there's a huge range of interpretations, like huge mm. on what's supposed to be going on in that film. And I hear I was thinking, oh, well, <laughs> I get it. But we I think we should talk about it because maybe maybe we've all got different interpretations of what of what that movie is about.
2: Yeah, well, I um, you know, yeah, I, th- I think it's probably the film of hers that I find most kind of troubling, um, and mm. most, yeah, like, um, after I saw it, I just kept thinking of that quote by Lars von Trier: uh, that film should be like a rock in the shoe, and mm-hmm. Libanna uh, is a huge rock. <laughs> it really
0: is a rock in the shoe kind of film. It absolutely is. It really um, lingers in your in your sensibility. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's interesting. I mean you know, obviously polyamory is a thing that people sort of, you know, are conscious Mm -hmm. of these days. I don't know if it was really like spoken about in those terms back, back in the sixties, but it is essentially Mm -hmm. a film about like a a guy who wants to be polyamorous and Mm -hmm. is, you know, like you could say, like relatively open about it, like, and, and honest, but at the same time it causes his, you know, his wife, uh, you know, so much pain that like Mm -hmm. she's, she's, uh, what's the scene again? That's right. He asks her, um, you know, like, "Hey, I'm in love with this other woman, but I still love you as well." Like, you know, mm-hmm. should we give it a go? And she's like, "Oh yeah, sure." And then she potentially goes and drowns herself. Um,
0: yeah, we never know, though. Did she sort of accidentally? It certainly seems has a suicidal quality, but we don't get that verified. So even that is kind of left up to in a rock in the shoe kind of way. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and I kind of thought afterwards, like, you know, is is this actually like a fairly like sexually conservative film? Like is is Varda condemning Mm -hmm. uh, this guy? Right. Like is it basically saying, you know, that, that, yeah, he's just like being incredibly selfish? That definitely seems to be like the prevailing kind of viewpoint, you know, of of the Mm -hmm. reviews that I read on like Letterboxd and stuff like that. Um, Oh, really? Is it? oh okay but, but then apparently yeah. at the time we would it was pro-free love so i don't
1: know uh i mean i, I watched it a few, if you year, a few years ago and was kind of impressed by it but what i i guess i didn't fully get i thought that's partially the commentary wasn't the wife who was like yeah it seemed like was this suicide uh i mean she was dependent on him right it mm-hmm. wasn't like she wasn't like a professional some kind of <laughs> well, <laughs> she's, she's a CEO. dressmaker you know. Yes, yes, yeah. but it's not. Basically, I don't know the reading. I, I don't know. If she was thinking about it. It's it's my contemporary reading into mm. it. It's not like she had an easy way out out of the situation if she didn't like it. Like, let's say she didn't like it mm-hmm. openly because of the arrangement financially wise. So I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. Or I'm like really approaching it too materialistically and mm-hmm. it's like has nothing to do with it. You know, again, all this uh, seems to be a polyamory that people play uh, with now connects mm-hmm. to the fact that a majority of people doing that are financially more or less independent from each other mm-hmm. or can be. It's definitely
2: kind of a more middle class thing, isn't it? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's not like a housewife who's like, oof, housewife with like, I don't know, five flowers in rotation, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not the vibe of what's
2: said about and so and I think we get we get the sense from the film also that, you know, he does have a freedom that she doesn't, she's at home
0: mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. That's what I'm saying Yeah, yeah. Well also that he's clueless to the Mac. I mean when he, when he when he's trying to say what he loves about his wife he says something incredibly bland like yeah. well she's nice and she can cook or something. I mean just, just <laughs> the great. idea that that's what how someone would would talk about you who says that they love is just so stunning. And the way like a
1: servant, right? Yeah, and then the,
0: but he, and then the way he replaces her. Like there's going to be no cripple. <laughs> It's made clear. It's like happiness is going to go right on. They're one, still going to be super photogenic among incredible colors, though. Another fall colors, you know. They're going to still going to be a beautiful, perfect family. And it, in other words, it seems hardly to matter which blonde, which blonde ultra willing wife you slot in. I thought yeah. that was what they were going for.
2: T- totally. Yeah. Right. And one thing, one thing I think that sort of makes um the film even a little bit more complicated to read is that everything in it just seems so artificial it's, it's film yes it. it's oh like,
0: my god it looks like an um, ad for like flower scented soap <laughs> the whole thing totally. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and
2: the Gorgeous. Dialogue, i mean you sort of wonder like you know the dialogue it just seems so facile as well at times uh-huh. and, you know is it is it just part of that you know like is it is this essentially just a satire of kind of like you know male prom- promiscuity or something um and gender roles. Well, so it obviously
0: makes you think, oh, who's happiness? Are they really all – you can't tell because it does seem like they're, they're in an ad. But so. then, <laughs>
2: but then I, also, I also kind of yeah. wonder if it's like, you know, there's some subtle criticism of, of the wife uh-huh. as well because I, yeah. I think in a, in a way like he is her world, you know, like she doesn't have – she doesn't seem to care about anything but him. And his
0: exactly, and then, and then the second woman, who seemed a little edgier and more independent, winds up saying the same thing: "You are, you are my happiness. You are my world." And you're like, "What?" Hmm. So it's like she echoes the wife. She, she just, she gives up whatever little tiny. I don't know. She seemed to have a little more going on. <laughs> before.
2: And then suddenly well, she, in the
1: beginning, she's
0: wifey again, and you're like, "What?" And then the next thing you know, they're all strolling out in nature because he loves nature, after all. <laughs> yeah, I was just—I just thought it was so sophisticated. Even the opening credits are so amazing. They've got the, a wonderful series of shots. It's all the sunflower fields, you know. They're out in the beautiful picnicy nature, and you see the family. The perfect family, apparently, walking towards you in the in the front is all the sunflowers, and she keeps doing these very sharp, almost shot cuts to a single sunflower, and then going back, and then going back over and over. And I was like, "What the hell is she doing? I mean, why not just hold a shot on the sunflowers, you know?" And ha- as a kind of slightly satirical, like commentary on this is too perfect an image of supposed happiness, and uh, is it like, you know, it's another of her of her. Preoccupations, it seems like, is the individual versus whatever the community or group against which. So, single flower, sunflower, all the sunflowers, single, all. She did it like eight times in mm-hmm. such an insistent way that again, I was like, is this the stealth, the stealth structure thing again? I, I haven't read anything to explain what that is about, so it was me grasping at straws. But there's no doubt mm-hmm. it's
2: like effective, isn't it? It's very unnerving, yes, and, and kind of very kind of yeah. I guess very sort of you know yeah advertising like images so it's a very banal um and yeah kind of almost like yeah I guess subverts them throughout the film um by and, her, and she's like yeah.
0: and she's so insistent on the color like and the color is gorgeous in a, in, a, in an almost again too too gorgeous too impressionist painter too floral you know and and she'll keep cutting she'll keep you know her instead of going to black or going even to going to white she goes to color mm. and it's always an image of like full screen red full screen whatever yellow full screen the funny, green
2: uh, the funny thing about that is that th- this was her first color feature film so it's almost oh, like you wow. know you know how those early sound films like um mm-hmm. you know, at the end of silent cinema like people just couldn't stop talking they were like you know really
0: right, right. in here she's just gone mad on <laughs> she's color doing absolutely that and sometimes she'll take the floral colors, which, you know, you can't deny. Like, they're so beautiful. They're distractingly beautiful. And then suddenly she'll just push them a little too far. So this is one wonderful scene where the where the mist, who's now, the, you know, they're involved. He sees her a couple times a week, whatever it is. She's, she's wearing, like, intense purple with like almost lime green accents and it goes right over the edge into like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> that, that hurts. That like hurts the eye. So it's things like that, that you're like, you know, and she does amazing things like how the wife is all, you know, warm, warm color tones was the husband's in blue and his mistress is, is in blue kind of blues and greens. And so you think you've got a whole scheme laid out and then she starts mixing and swapping. So suddenly the wife Will be in the blues, and the mistress is now. Once the mistress gets together with him firmly, all of a sudden, like when they're gonna, they're together, um, she's in red. So you, it's, it's that kind of thing that it's so eye popping. You're kind of it's forced on your notice in a way that makes you want to go. What is she? what's your her scheme here? She seems like she's really got an intense color scheme going on. That's worked out to the last degree. And I'm not quite sure what it is. That was really, that was fascinating.
2: And this is um, another thing about the film that sort of, I don't know, this is a bit like armchair psychology, but um, mm-hmm. getting back to Demi. So we, you know, we know that Demi was, was presumably bisexual um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, he may have been aware of that for, for much of his life. So, you know, you sort of wonder like, is there a little bit of autobiographical content here? You know, like was, Were these the kind of conversations that they were having, you know,
0: um, at times? Yeah, there is an interview with Varda saying about the moment when the wife is told and Varda said something like, but she should say, this is the scene where she should say no. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're the only one for me. I want to be the only one for you. And she doesn't. She has a, a few moments of being a little disturbed and then just fully embraces it to the point that they have immediate enthusiastic sex on the grass. And you think you're get led to believe she's totally beyond fine with this because, as she says, but you're so happy that that makes it okay. <laughs> So the idea is that his overflowing happiness is all anyone needs, <laughs> that the women will just settle for, well, as long as he's really happy. That's the main thing. And then, of course, the drowning occurs immediately after. So you do wonder her her avid sense that this is what the woman should have said and didn't say.
2: I actually It was like really interesting. I would really actually love to read a contemporary sort of um, – Polyamorous persons take on this film, like actually mm. how how they analyze mm-hmm. it, because I I feel like you know I mean these are kind of you know fraught topics I guess for that community mm-hmm. now, and um you know like real life real life sort of scenarios, and like uh, I wonder like would they see it as kind of like very hostile to the idea, or um is it more complicated? I don't know.
0: Yeah, and that would be that would be great too because I in fact was when I was watching it I was thinking oh she's actually gonna again do that. Under my you think it's an easy read at this film and then she's gonna complicate it because it did seem like as soon as you could think you know he says such specious things things that seem seem superficially very compelling like but why why I mean I don't love my wife less I still love my wife I can't I also love this woman what's wrong with that and wh- as soon as you're thinking the only thing wrong with it is your wife doesn't know hmm. if she knew, that would be a whole different thing but she has no idea and then he right right as soon as you're thinking for sure that he tells her and so you're like oh she's really not making it easy on us to have any easy you know an easy answer on this thing he then seems to do the right thing even if some of the ways he says things are a little <laughs> a little weird and bland and almost emotionless for all this supposed happiness and love he's got going on. Usually love makes you somewhat perceptive about the people you're <laughs> you're with or somewhat interested in the details of them. And he doesn't see that, but I mean, it does seem like the movie is it's somewhat structured to kind of answer any, I don't know, hidebound concerns you might have <laughs> in a way. So you're right. That would be a great read. Like mm-hmm. where does this movie sort of fall in, in a kind
2: of contemporary reading of polyamory? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've both, um, you've both seen Vagabond, right? I was really interested uh-huh. in your yeah. thoughts on that. It's been that's, years, but yeah. Another really sort of um, well full on film in a different way, I guess. Does the same kind of confounding
0: expectations in, mm. in having all of these different readings, you know, on the part of, you know, kind of these, these, these figures who documentary style comment on the young woman and often in, in quite, you know, not very, not very flattering ways, mm. but you know, you, that you're with this woman, but, but the the young woman is so uncompromising. You know, she's angry. She rejects all. There's a kind of exhilaration in it. But there's also a kind of, you know, it keeps getting underscored. A kind of doom in it is really, really kind of I'll a confounding thing.
1: thing. The opening, almost the opening body bag shot. Yes, beautiful. I mean, it's Amazing. really beautiful. I mean, that one, I have to give it her. Yeah, it's just, you know, she has... Their edge there, she, for and sure. she
0: even achieved the perfect—the body is frozen, movement, mm-hmm. moving of the body—that I was like, "How did you do that? Mm-hmm. How did you ever, How did she ever stay so absolutely stiff?
2: Really it, gorgeously done." When I was watching it with my partner the other night, um, she sort of mentioned how frustrated she is um, sometimes with like you know films and stories that start with the ending, you know, like mm-hmm. the so yeah. so basically we were watching this entire film under the shadow of, yeah. of this protagonist's death, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to kind of having any sort of. Uh, you know, kind of doubt as to, you know, you know, maybe things will end up going well for her. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting choice, isn't it, to like really just like completely like just mm-hmm. open with such despair, you know, and just like be kind of hurtling towards that for the rest of the film.
0: Right, especially because I was reading that Varda got interested in this topic again from a kind of real life scenarios. She encountered some young woman who was essentially living like this, and then she mm-hmm. she said she saw a couple of others, and she actually thought it was some little weird little trend. And this was like 1980 or something, and that was a part inspiration for doing the movie, of like kind of speculating about what would what would motivate a young woman to just, and what would that be like. So you're right; it's interesting that she she she. She imposes from the beginning a kind of doom. I, I read somewhere. I think I think Varda didn't like this comparison, but that someone commented it's like a rever- It's like sh- she took Citizen Kane and did. <laughs> And, and, and kind of upended everything. So it, instead of a rich famous, you start with a, the, 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 the death of a rich, famous, notorious man that everyone knows. Instead, you start with the death of a completely obscure, obscure homeless young woman that nobody knows. And then you have everyone talk about them in a way that suggests you're going to find out everything about this young woman and kind of have the quote unquote answer to the way that they died and the way that they lived. But, of course, you, you only wind up feeling like, I, I still don't know. I still... The, the, one thing that you I... can I never think... complete... Oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, sorry. Uh, one thing I found really interesting about it, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, the kind of the, mm. the camera pieces where people sort of talk about her and how she is kind of just this... Um, I guess, I guess they just project these things onto her, you know, like some mm-hmm. of them romanticise yeah. her, some of them kind right. of use her to sort of feel superior about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe there's a bit of sort of sexual fantasy being placed on her at times as well. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just interesting. Like I, um, I remember reading this um, Sylvia Plath, Quote about like how much she wishes she was a man um Mm -hmm. and so that she could um i think it was like sleep in an open field and like travel west and walk freely at night and it's like yeah this character is basically embodying that that fantasy in a way but Mm -hmm. it doesn't go well yeah um, in some ways
0: right but you i think you're still supposed to be left with is there something about it that that, that's I don't know. Yeah. She very much forces it on you (laughs) to decide whether you think there's a kind of triumph, especially when they make the detail of escaping from a life of office work, Mm -hmm. which seems important (laughs) because if you've (laughs) ever done office work, I have. (laughs) <laughs> um, the idea that you're, even if you're going to die really young, but every day you got up and you, and you walked free, <laughs> it's more compelling. <laughs> have, either you, um,
2: have either of you ever seen the Emano Olmi film, um, Il Posto? Um, no. Yeah. Cause that's, that's I don't the, think so. The, that's this really um kind of funny and sort of sad i think italian film from the early 60s um about this Mm -hmm. young boy he's probably only like 15 or 16 but he gets his first Mm -hmm. job in an office and just like this is where he's going to be for the next like 20 30 years and Mm -hmm. like there's this whole sort of drama around like i think there's like eight men sitting in a room at desks or eight men and women um and like who will get the squeaky desk (laughs) And be out yes, years. yes,
0: yes, and it's it. Everything that's perfect. I, I got to watch that because because <laughs> everything seems to devolve down to the pettiest issues that are then blown up to be the biggest issues, and you realize your whole life is going to go by with yeah. some feud over. Well, what did they do? What do they do in Office Space? You know, the stapler, the red stapler, the possession <laughs> of the red stapler. You know, that kind of shit is what it feels like to be, at least it did to me. Mm-hmm. In an, and yeah, I. The
1: guy who eventually set it on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Melton, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, played by Stephen Root.
1: Great, great character.
0: But uh, that feeling—that your whole life is going to go by mm-hmm. over things like the desk, the stapler, the you know who got who got the absolutely what um, unimportant promotion, which was in Title only but not name you know all this kind of uh, just awful and mm-hmm. and people's whole lives in these in these deathly feuds and what it does to people
2: physically. Mm-hmm. No worse life, I swear than. In the life of an office. But but yeah, it's interesting how, like, I guess Vagabond sort of presents, yeah, I guess, sort of this alternative to that. But then there's Mm -hmm. also that character, you know, those goat farmers? Like that. Yeah, the goat farmers. Yeah. Like a philosophy professor or something who's just decided to, like, live on the land. And, like, I always had to laugh, like, towards the end, there's this sequence where, you know, again, his camera sequence where he's like, you know, she thought she was free, but she was just playing into the system, or something like
0: right? <laughs> this superior reading, reading of her. You know, I, I, I think you're. Supposed, at least I come away with there's there's always something great about having chosen, having made a choice and and stuck with it. Because most most people don't get to choose, can't even delude themselves. Well, they try to delude themselves that they've chosen their lives, but you know, most people can't delude themselves. I would think, or a lot of people. And so the idea that you chose it. Is is always how always has an edge of exhilaration about it, and the open road has has that kind of exhilaration about it. it. Admittedly, at the same time, the whole movie. I was just thinking in terms of the look of her films. She has such a variety of looks, and the somber kind of blue and brown tones of the of the film, especially if you've just come off like you know Le Bonheur. You're just like, oh my god, it's a completely completely different sense of a world, and and it's all very subdued um, tones. I mean, she doesn't spare, she doesn't try to make it look beautiful like you're going to be wandering through fields of daisies. There's none of that. There's a predominance of mud, (laughs) grey skies, rain. She really emphasises that.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it was um, because of Sandrine Bonnet's presence, but, like, um, I was really reminded of Maurice (laughs) Pielar during that film and, like, Mm -hmm. his 80s work. Um, You know, yeah, it has that same kind of, like, muddy kinda, you mm-hmm. know yeah, kinda quite grim sort of a set. Right.
1: She was in his movies too, right? I think I've might have seen something. Like centrine Bonar.
2: Yeah, there was um the film um More, more I think, or Two Our Love. That's,
1: that's right, one. yeah.
2: That's and the one. She was in a couple of years before and incredibly mm-hmm. she was still a teenager in both films. I think she was fifteen in that one and seventeen in Ooh. this one. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah incredible actress.
0: Yeah, she is. And she's, got, she's so good at being absolutely unsparing and resolute and like not giving anything away. It's just so good. <laughs> you know, when they're talking essentially about her obviously being constantly threatened with rape and sexual harassment and everything else. And she says, I don't care. I move on. And that's going to be a hard line to pull off. And she just does it perfectly. Just, Mm -hmm. just with a perfect convict. It really convinces you a kind of implacable quality about her.
2: I was actually, this reminds me, I was watching um, a little bit of Varda's kind of last film, um, Varda by Agnes, um, that sort of Mm -hmm. documentary that she did about her life. I didn't watch the whole thing, but um, there's a sequence where um, she's talking about the film and with, um, Bon And Bonaire says mm-hmm. um, like remembers how there was like a moment in the film where like she got her like Vada got her to like, I don't know, like till a field or something. And mm-hmm. she ended up with blisters on her hands and she went over to mm-hmm. Vada and said, You know, look, are you happy now? I've got blisters on my hands. And, like, like, Vada <laughs> was just like, Yes.
0: Yes, I am. <laughs> that sounds about
1: right.
0: <laughs> Well, I was wondering. I mean, <laughs> David, do you have do you have a strong sense of of her relationship to the the French New Wave guys, who, are, of course, were much more the face of New Wave, and of course, there's also the left bank complication. But I don't know if we need to get into that. But you yeah, know, well, this is
2: interesting she, because, like, you know, as we know, like the the Cahiers group was very sort of incestuous; mm-hmm. like, they were all kind of helping each other and like you know, mm-hmm. in each other's films. Um, I don't really get a sense of Vada being that, like, connected to them. I, I know she obviously had a friendship with Goddard, and I think – With Goddard, yeah. I think he may have maybe had a role in Cleo, Cleo from 5 seven being made.
0: He's in the film within a film. He and Anna uh, Karina are
2: – it's yeah. very cute. Um, Anna, yeah. But interestingly, um, Alan René worked on her first feature. Um, I mm-hmm. think he might have been cinematographer. I could be wrong on that. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's credited for that. And, of course, then, yeah. um, you know – it's a kind of two-person revolving circle. So, um,
0: yeah, she um, and to me were great friends with Godard, and then that's a moment in Faces Places where she finally goes to see Godar with Jr. the artist, and and Godard has of course decided not to meet with her and leaves a message, and that that sort of refers back to the cafe where he and he and she and Demi would all get together all the time. Mm. Um, and she's still, she, 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 you don't know what to make of the performance of the scenes. An interesting scene mm. where she's like kind of weepy and saying, you dirty rat,
2: you know, you knew I was, co-. they hadn't seen each other in five years or something. I think, I think and, it's fair to say, I think that might be the only time I've ever seen her cry on camera. I
0: think Yes. <laughs> and that's she it. Really. And then, but then it's an interesting thing because the JR guy says, well, don't you think it's, you were trying to write him into a scene in a certain way and he decided to write too, and he wrote himself out. Something something like that. <laughs> and yeah. it is true. You're thinking, wait, she was she was going to film it. So she was going to have their reunion be filmed and he was
2: going to have to play his part that she had. And the, know, irony, yeah. the irony, I think, is that this is probably yeah. the ending <laughs> this way.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so it does seem like... Of all, the, of all the people, the super dominating Godar is the one that she seems to have the most, the biggest connection with of the, you know, of the Kaye people anyway. Um, is interesting. But you're right. There's not, there's not much sense that she was in the group of them or, any, or anything. Not that I could find. Again, very sketchy, the information. I, maybe I was just looking in all the wrong places, but I wasn't finding what I thought I was going to find. For such a legendary group and her as a major figure in it, it wasn't what I expected
2: yeah one thing um one thing I was just thinking of that we were um discussing um after what we were discussing before um have either of you seen the Jane Birkin documentary she did
0: no, I didn't I meant to try it, and I didn't wind up seeing it
2: no yeah it's um it's really beautiful it's it's basically just this kind of portrait of Birkin um kind of like she's playing she, she's just playing different roles kind of so there's I almost mean, like these imaginary scenes from films that were never made um, with Birkin. Like, Mm -hmm. Birkin plays Joan of Arc. She plays, like, a a bank robber. Um, She plays, like, a kind of weird Laurel and Hardy sort of parody at one point. Um, And there's also just kind of, like, her talking to camera. Um, And there's this really beautiful sequence where Varda's just in a cafe with her and she asks um, Birkin to look into the camera and Birkin is, like, all of a sudden really shy and so she actually really hates doing that. Um, and then she does eventually, and there's this sort of sustained shot of her just like staring into the camera. And mm-hmm. I, th- I find that a really interesting kind of point about celebrity and about, you know, someone like Birkin who was very much like in the public eye, like, like how someone like her could still be kind of, um, yeah, reticent in some ways and personal. um and I don't know, I, I think that's Varda again, like, um, Eileen, I think you mentioned before like how much Vada loves working people, mm-hmm. but I, and I think that's very mm-hmm. true. I, I think she just loves mm-hmm. people in general to be honest. Um, she's a real humanist. Mm-hmm. Yes, wow. that definitely seems
0: her. true. I know, and it almost, <laughs> that's exactly how I felt. I was watching it as if looking at an older age, going wow, she can re- still really love people. <laughs> I felt like Fassbender when he discovered Cirque and said almost exactly the same thing. Wow, in Douglas Cirque's world, people can still love each other. We all yeah. hate each other. <laughs> And I thought, that damn, that's right. But he was saying it in the 70s, and I feel it much more intensely now.
1: Um, Yeah, it got worse, more neoliberal, I guess. But, you know, uh, I just want to go back for a second to Kung Fu Master. I know, Eileen, you didn't see it, but, you know, it's Mm -hmm. also Birkin uh, playing, you know, kind of lovers with um, Agnes Varda's son. Mm -hmm. What I'm curious about is, like, no one ever canceled neither Birkin nor Varda, and now it would be like... They yeah. would cry pedophilia. Like they would like try to just completely what? destroy, I imagine their careers by they, you know, like whatever, what is it? I, I is am it sorry like, to say, liberal?
2: Film, film Twitter does mm-hmm. seem to have discovered the film. Um, because if, oh, really? you, um, if you look at Letterboxd, like a lot of the reviews are like, this is disgusting pedophile propaganda.
1: Oh, oh really? Okay. So oh. it's there. Uh, it is there. But yeah, yeah, you're right.
2: Of course, because it was made um, 35 years ago, like, you know, that, that sort of criticism is blunted. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I agree. I think, like, you know, it's probably a film that would maybe not get funding today or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of, I don't know. I mean, it's hardly, it's hardly like celebrating the relationship. It obviously shows that it's problematic and why it's problematic. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, it's just a really sort of um, painful portrait of um, desire. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess kind of, you know, like at the end of the day, for whatever screwed up reason, um, Birkin's character feels this way. And, yeah, it's just, you know, takes over her life and destroys her.
0: (laughs) Right. It is the edgiest thing that she cast her son. I mean, we got to admit that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine the directing the directing job mm. of that. Wow. Well, it's a real, it's a real <laughs> sort of
2: family affair, that film, because um, Charlotte Gainsbourg plays Birkin's daughter, which of course she, she is. So.
1: Well, you can also read it not as a very brave thing to do, but like nepotistic. You just bring all your family into your movies, <laughs> which is like a fine thing to do, of course, but that's just how they eventually stay there. Mm. <laughs> like Charlotte and, you know, I, I'm not sure about it um, well, always son. seems
0: significant to me if you've, ever, if you've seen peeping Tom and the way Michael Powell casts himself as the, as, the, as, mm-hmm. the, as the psychiatrist whose experiments create a serial killer and has his own son play the
2: young serial killer
0: you're just yeah. like, man, what are you trying for here?
2: <laughs> it a, seems to go beyond nepotism. There's a real, yeah, I think there's a real sort of study to be done on kind of filmmakers using themselves or using family. Using it, yes. It's it's yeah. interesting. I, I don't see it as just nepotism. I mean, sometimes it probably is like, I guess, as mm. a couple I think you were discussing last, last time. Right, <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> yeah. When um, she I, was only
0: helping out, as she said, because they needed someone mm-hmm. to play parts. Yeah, And honestly, oh, I, think,
2: I think I did feel that with, Matthew Demi's casting in, I don't know if either of you mm. saw it, but um her film Simon Cinema from uh, 1994 no. Which is the mm. worst film she ever made. Like it's no. it's just a complete mess, basically um, just trying to like recreate sort of moments from cinema's history, and it's just like totally walkish and sentimental. Um, but mm. Matthew Demi plays like this young kind of filmmaker, I think. Um mm-hmm. who's sort of like if you know, like, Jean-Pierre Leo's character from Last Tango in Paris, he's kind of like that. He's just kind of like, you know, really enthusiastic and kind of running yeah. around and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was mm-hmm. bad. But, like, um, <laughs> in Documenter and Kung Fu Master, I guess he's still a child. And, like, yeah, you kind of really, like, it just feels natural in a way. Like, particularly Documenter, his relationship with um, Sabine Mamou, who's um, basically playing Vada um, In that film, mm-hmm. like yeah, it is just really like great, and I wonder maybe you wouldn't be able to get that effect with some random child. You know, you, you maybe do need to use your own child because mm-hmm. you, you're
0: after something so specific, and you know that that's what they have to offer. You mean, or is yeah, something about oh, the familial just relationship?
2: It, just because of the comfort, you know, their their comfort on set. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that um, you know, he's there, and like you know, yeah, I mean, his mother is actually filming it. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that was just a thought I had. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's. Well, do we have a final wrap up on Varda? She's so hard to wrap up that I know this is an unfair question. <laughs> she's <just laughs> made it's been so my many question. movies. She did, and they're so varied. They're
1: so varied. Yeah, it's a tough one. Well, she sort of documented just the life around her for all the years she. I mean, adult years she lived. So it's definitely she's a, like a soldier of cinema, I guess. If as Herzog would have said about her, I imagine. <laughs> So there's that.
2: Like she almost seems to have this kind of I don't know, sort of sort of perception of like being like the greatest female filmmaker. And I know that's that's unfair in a way because like we don't really think of male filmmakers in the same well, way. Well, that
0: she's in certainly in the running because she's had such a long yeah. and celebrated career. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: And, yeah. And and also maybe because she also was like openly feminist and and really mm-hmm. went into that. So I wonder, um, yeah, I mean, where, where do you both feel that she fits in in this kind of, if we would say, like a pantheon of like female filmmakers?
0: Oh God, that's so miserable! I can't even
1: begin to. I don't know, not <laughs> my cup of tea. Is,
0: uh, <laughs> As I said, I'm getting, i was not converted at all by her, but I, I certainly was. I, a couple of her films, I really, I really just thought, wow, mm-hmm. um, she's, she's got extraordinary. I, I, I'm fond of her again for the very reason that maybe other people wouldn't like so much, is she seems to have, for all the love and the affection, maybe it's out of the love and the affection, she just refuses to, um, what? She tends to veer away from the cliche at her best toward the, this is going to be the sticking point, no matter where you fall ideologically or whatever neat philosophical answers you've arrived at, this is going to disturb you. And so I think she's at her best in for all the seeming loving embrace of everything for actually positing something that's going to make you feel um, anxious and uncomfortable, mm. which I like. Yeah. Because I think of the worst I think of, 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 you know, a lot of uh, directors who fall ideologically into you know quote feminist quote this quote that is you get a lot of pamphleteering in film form which i hate and she doesn't seem to really
2: do that she doesn't seem cut out to do that really um which is good i think which i like i um i wrote down a quote from her which i i think i read out which um which is sort of i don't know i think kind of sums up what she was all about Mm -hmm. um this is from uh that not 2019 film Vada by Agnes, she says, mm-hmm. uh, nothing is banal if you film people with empathy and love, if you find them extraordinary mm-hmm. as I did. I think that's, I think that's her, you know, um, mm-hmm. in a nutshell. And oh. I, I know that that's, that's <laughs> going to be, It's too sentimental for Evgeny. But, yeah. but yeah, I, mean, I
0: choose I, to read it as, yes, that's exactly it. You can't nutshell people. People will yeah. confound you. Over and over and over, and I think that's what work. That's what makes such a strength.
1: Uh, yeah, and she's uh, back to your question, David. I think ultimately, yeah, she's one of the greatest. But to me, she's like one of the greatest. Gleaners Mm. and she even called it it's not even my. she made the connection in her own film which is Mm. you know good self-reflection for that for that for that one so you know it's really valuable that's no I mean very valuable stuff she did in terms of documenting certain things Mm. and again I you know now when I live in LA I I appreciate it I watched only parts of it I I think David you said I haven't seen it she made a whole documentary about like um, graffitis in LA in the 1970s and the people who made them so it's just you know it, it has some historical value oh I, and she did I a black panthers that. documentary
2: that i meant to get to and didn't as well so that's another oh and that's a fascinating time capsule too isn't it like we were talking about uh one sings the other mm-hmm. doesn't, but that's like i mean that just feels like it's from a completely different time and place and yet you know still mm-hmm. relevant, of course
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's interesting yeah i guess i would also agree with um the whole time capsule sort of outlook on, on a lot of her stuff, which is, again, very valuable. I don't know. You always need to sort of either contact, uh, context for that or just being interested in a certain historical period, or thing mm-hmm. that she's filming, then, then it would be, then it's valuable. You know, my main problem <laughs> with her is the imaginative part. But again, clearly not. It's it's just my problem. <laughs> you guys don't have it. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we brought you—you—you you, you got brought around a little bit from where you started, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I making an effort to appreciate for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. That's all I mean.
1: But uh, yeah, I don't know about Pantheon. Is there—is there a Pantheon? I'm event? so <laughs> uncomfortable with Pantheon. It's so <laughs> yeah, even the ideas of so that, hard.
0: Right? As soon as I freeze up, as soon I can never make best lists because yeah. I just feel yeah. fraudulent the second I start. I don't know why.
2: I mean, the the whole idea of a canon, you know, like it's kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, has issues. Yeah,
1: what is this pigeon hauling? It's different for everyone. So clearly this the sensibilities is so so vastly different, it's impossible mm. to create a pantheon. It's very that hard. works for everyone.
0: Let's just say if there's one, I'm happy that she would be in it. But that's, I want to make that as conditional as possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Okay. I, I would be down for that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, thank you, David, so much. That was really great. I'm so glad to have the, uh, the opportunity to delve in. It was really helpful yeah, thank to you. have your perspective. It
2: yeah, was a real pleasure.